Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 5-14-2023, and we're going to continue our service with the thought of the week in prayer. The topic is, it is the gift of God. All the words used in conjunction with grace have the same character. The word gift also speaks of something which is bestowed upon us as opposed to something we earn. Salvation is not a reward. It is a free gift. And God knows the difference. I am surprised how many do not know the difference between a gift and a reward when it comes to salvation. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This salvation is the gift of God. Whatever your thoughts may see about salvation, take a step back and hear it from God's perspective. Salvation is a gift, and not some term. Even though these words are quoted by many, they are busy going about their own way, trying to earn something. God will only give us a gift. If you are working for salvation, you are not saved by grace. If you are working to keep yourself saved, then you may not be under, then you may not have understood or received the gift. Instead of working hard to prove something, why not simply accept the free gift? The terms of salvation are important to God. And if you do not see it as a gift, you will, not, you, will, you will always try to show yourself worthy of salvation. For many, this verse has been committed to memory. You can begin quoting the words of this verse and many can finish it. However, not many have taken these words to heart. Jesus said it best. The people out of you with but the heart is all far from me. Your attitude towards pleasing God must be confirmed according to what God says pleases him, or else you are pleasing yourself. Be very careful here. Be very careful here. You may be waiting for your time trying to work for that which is only given as a gift, as a free gift. They worship you in vain. Their teaching, but rules are taught by men. It is the gift of God that salvation is free to all those who are accepted. Accepted gift. Not all sometimes have a hard time accepting something that is free. I know one time I had a hard time accepting this when I heard the gospel. But understood that something is given to you freely. You don't have to work for it. It's given to you by by God. So it is the free gift of God, not a work, not anyone to vote. So I just put up getting from taking from the vote of the week. Now we have prayer given to us by our pastor Doug Preston. Thank you, Dave. And we are headed right into a word of prayer. We're going to lift up uh, those who are sick among us, and I'm asking uh, if there are any prayer requests that come to mind and you want to uh, voice them? You will pray for a new job for my daughter, Kalisha. Kalisha? Oh, okay, gotcha. All right. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this time we have this morning. We are grateful, Father, for your grace mercy towards us in this world. We thank you, Father, for choosing us sovereignly by grace from eternity past, before time began. You picked us out. You chose us. And as we live and breathe today, Father, it is our objective by being here to learn who we are in Christ, to fulfill the destiny that is before us. We thank you for Christ who 
provided salvation. He sacrificed his life for us. He gave up his life so that we would have eternal life and that the Father would be able to live through him, teach through him, show his will through him. So, Father, we, we thank you for the provision of the Holy Spirit who uh, is special in this age. He's right by our side, just like a mother would be to a child. The Holy Spirit is attending to our every thought and need. Thank you for that provision. And Father, as we <clears throat> think about our sojourn in this world, we, we realize just what you said. In this world, we will have trouble. So Father, we uh, lift up many in this world that are close to our hearts, those we love and, are, and we care about deeply. So we bring those requests to you so that they do not cloud our minds, they do not occupy uh, all of our day, but that we can give those thoughts to you so that we can keep our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength on your will. Father, Kalisha comes to mind that and was raised the name and we're asking father for she's looking for employment and father we pray for her and that she would find gainful employment so that she can continue her focus in this world and that her focus would be your focus and also father we pray for the the entire Myers family and there are many and you know all of the needs they have we're asking to, for your intercession on their behalf, and your interceding, and also the Sneed family, Father. You, you know, uh, uh, as we discussed earlier, Cherise just got out of the hospital. We're praying for Dave as well, lifting him up as well. We're praying, <coughs> praying for Dwight and his family. <coughs> Excuse me. Praying for Dwight and his family, wherever. Um, and you know what the needs are there. Uh, we're praying, uh, asking for the Presley family, um, in particular uh, the Haddon family, and my sister Gail, praying for her and all the struggles that are going within her household. Uh, Father, you know what they are. And we're asking for your intervention, <clears throat> your healing in, that, in their behalf. Also, Father, uh, Mike Presley and his family. And we're praying for Gary and Jeff and Dad and all, all of in particular. And uh, we're asking for a special prayer for Mike at this hour. And Father, you know the details. Uh, so we're praying for uh, Brenda in particular. Father, we, we know, uh, you know, and we lift her up for you as well, Father. Whenever there is unknown, we ought to not have anxiety, but we ought to take it to you. So that's what we do, Father. We, we bring those names before you. And Father, we pr I'm praying for my family in particular as well, for Corinne and, and, and Kia and all of those who um, we touch and all of those who we interact with. And Father, you know the challenges that we face. All this we ask, Father, as we continue, but we ask for wisdom. We ask for attention to your word and your, your plan and your purpose in this life. We can have many pursuits. Father, we pray for uh, that we will have single-mindedness, a devotion, a commitment to your eternal purpose. We pray that for all of us as we are here trying to sort out what your word says by the help of your spirit. All of that we ask in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right. So we have, um, <clears throat> as you know, we're going to move on. Thanks. Thank you, Dave. Uh, we're going to move on to where we are. We're in the book of Galatians. So <clears throat> let's get to it. So we have from, we did miss last week, I was traveling. So we are in Galatians chapter 2. You should have notes. 
Uh, and we're in the second half of chapter 2, which is 11 through 21. New Age Modus Operandi. And in Galatians 2.11 is where we started. We did not finish. We're just about finished with that one verse. We kind of took it the long way. <clears throat> but in your notes, as we progress with the narrative of the new dispensation and how the early church managed it, we come to an example given by Paul. The new way of life is certainly different from Israel in many ways. To start, a new calling means we have a new perp a different purpose. Instead of the church rehearsing Israel's calling, we should focus on what God had in mind when he, quote, cho he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That's Ephesians 1.4. To understand this, we must rise above tradition and culture to hear from God. <clears throat> so we started this thought with uh, when Cephas came to Antioch. And we talked about the fact that that is not just him having, oh, you know, I just happened to stop by because I was in the neighborhood. No, Peter was an esteemed leader of the church. He, James, and John. And these, these were pillars. And people respected them greatly. They were leaders. And so it wasn't just Peter happens to stop at Antioch. And remember, there was controversy. People had come down to Antioch and they were teaching. We already read this. We covered a lot of this. They were teaching the Gentile believers there. Now we know, and when I say Gentile, and I single out Gentiles and Jews, I know that in Christ there is no Jew and there is no Gentile. I know that, and I'm hoping you know that. But the reason why we are kind of separating and parsing out Jews and Gentiles is because that's what was going on in the early church. And so we have to recognize the failures that they had in the early church and what was going on, the trends that were uh, driving the church to these different places. So there were people who were coming down, to, coming over to Antioch to try to persuade Gentile believers to believe in the Mosaic Law, to keep the Mosaic Law, that they were under the Mosaic Law. And now we have the book of Galatians as a testimony for our posterity that this is not the way to go. The Mosaic Law, we're not under the Mosaic Law at all. God has a new purpose for us, a new way of life, and a new purpose for meaning in this life that we have here in the world. So there's a lot that we covered uh, already. I'm not going <clears> to <throat> go through all of it. I think we covered it in enough detail. So when, when Cephas, Peter is Cephas, okay, <clears throat> just so we know that Peter is not somebody else. He they're calling one of his other names was Cephas but I'm for the sake of uh, clarity and our understanding we're just going to say Peter so um, point number two I opposed him to his face as I said Paul gets right to the point it's, it's not one thing where he's, he builds this story and then at the end he tells us listen this is what I did I opposed Peter to his face no he gets right to the point Peter, when, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. And that was to say before everybody. It was public. But it wasn't, like I said, when he came to Antioch, it was an event. So we're not just, it, it would be like, I don't know what would be the, I used the thriller in Manila. Really, I tried to say the thriller in Antioch. I'm trying to get your attention to know that this is not just somebody stopping by. It's just, you know, he's not on. He's just on vacation, so he decided to spend it in Antioch. No, this was a doctrinal summit. And really, in Acts chapter 15, you saw where it was an issue in the church. Which way was the church going to be persuaded to go? Obviously, we know what the Holy Spirit wanted. He wanted people to, to, to adopt, 
to the new dispensation. But there were forces, winds of change uh, that were rejected, and, and people wanted to maintain the traditional ways that they had been under for 14, 1500 years. God was making a change. So there were those who would not accept it. They would not believe in Christ. But then there were those who believed in Christ and still wanted to be under the Mosaic Law. So it was controversial. Good thing we got the record straight today. And even though it's straight, it doesn't mean that people still hold to uh, a particular understanding. Right? They still can choose to, to allow the traditional winds to blow, even though it's Israel. You know, people, are, people are so removed from that, but yet there's such respect for religious and people and religious establishments that people find it hard to change. So Paul opposed Peter to his face. His opposition was not, it wasn't personal. It wasn't that Paul didn't like Peter, and Peter understood that. So we already covered all that detail. I'm in point number two, point F, to his face. Paul's opposition was not done in private, but public. Why? Peter's wrong influence was public. And as we're going to read in verse 13, even Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was Paul's traveling partner who was Jewish, who was influenced by Peter's behavior. And Paul had to put a stop to it. I mean, I'm thankful that God used this man to do it because where would we be if God allowed this to go on in the church? This type of preferential treatment for the Jews and second-class citizenship for Gentiles, it was, it was just wrong. So point G, by addressing Peter publicly, all the others there were also addressed. And when I say all the others there, I mean Peter wasn't the only one who was wrong. By Peter doing this, by those people coming from Antioch and trying to uh, pretend that there was some sort of spiritual authority that they had, all of them needed to, this rebuke, not just Peter. So let's start with Peter, who who was the leader. And the church could have imploded at this point. It could have splintered. Peter could have took it personal, dug in, and had a hard time dealing with this. But it didn't happen that way. And the fact that we are in the church today, oh yes, there are still people who don't understand, who, who, who still would vie for things in the Mosaic Law. But... We have the record. The spirit of truth has indelibly imprinted, not only in the words, but in the hearts of, of every person. And yes, we can go against it. Yes, we could not follow and resist the Holy Spirit, uh, but we have it in writing. So, um, <clears throat> he addressed him publicly. He was not persuaded by Peter's uh, celebrity at all. He says, I'm not impressed with, with any of that. In verse Galatians 2, 5, to whom he did not yield submission even. Oh, wait a minute. Let's go back to NIV translation. Paul says in 2, 5, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Uh, I like verse 6 as well. As for those who were held in high esteem, Whatever they were makes no difference to me. Paul said it didn't phase him. He looked past the fact that they, they spoke and walked to Jesus for three years. He looked past that. He says, what is your teaching as it relates to the spirit of truth right now? It doesn't matter. I don't care what, who you purport to be. All I know is we're following the lead of our Lord Jesus Christ and his, the, the spirit of truth who is on the ground. He says, it doesn't make, makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. So Paul wasn't impressed by Peter and the other esteemed leaders. He wasn't impressed by that. And we should take a note from that as well. 
we need to be, be impressed with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of Truth, who is the Spirit of, Tr Spirit of Truth is revealing the mind of Christ to us. That's where we should be impressed with. That's where we should have obedience, devotion, commitment, love. That's what love is. That's where we ought to have love for and, and respect. Not false teachers or people who are propagating false doctrines. Point H, Paul took a bold stand to unite the church. While he could not change minds, and he couldn't, people still could believe what they wanted to believe. He could give the divine viewpoint, quote, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And that's what we have to think about for those who may follow us. Now, we don't know when the rapture will happen. Could happen this afternoon. Could happen now. Or it could happen 50 years, 100 years. We don't know when the rapture will happen. So, but no matter what, we have to stand for truth. That's, well, when I say we have to, I think we should. This is the way God would have us live in this world, that we stand for truth. And your life will mean something. God has chosen you, and he has gifted you in a special way. God has a purpose for your life. And for you to realize that purpose, you will have to focus your attention on the message of truth, the Father's eternal purpose, which has been revealed. So we're going to continue. I think that's where we left off. Point number three. So... Paul says, uh, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. And this is the point number three, because he stood condemned. Now, the first point is condemned is, is and there's the word for it. <clears throat> and it's, and it's a note against, right? It should be, yeah, a note against, that is, find fault with blame or condemn. All that came from from strong but point B that's just the definition of the word but point B me is that it says condemn here is not the same condemnation found in Adam that's Romans 8 1 which says in Christ there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus is the actual quote but guess what? There is still condemnation for those who are in Adam in this age. Just like Paul says, at one time we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live. Condemnation was over us in Adam. Condemnation is over Adam, those who are lost in Adam. Uh, in this age, you, if you're saved, you're in Christ. And in Christ, there is no condemnation. It's Romans 8.1. So that's what we know. So why was, what does this con condemnation mean? Point C, it means that Peter was wrong because of the way he behaved regarding the new dispensation. And we have to just say that, right? Why do we, I'm changing, we could say he was wrong about grace or he was wrong about how to live. And it's not, no. Let's just say it directly so that people understand what he was wrong about. He was wrong because these people from that came down who were of the circumcision group were, were saying that this new dispensation is wrong. They were saying we are still under the auspices of the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law still has authority over the way we live in this world. And for us, they for them to say that, they have to disregard this entire dispensation. And we could drill down into why and all of the wherefores, but let's just say first what it is. And you got people today, there are theologies that uh, don't believe dispensations are valid. And there are theologies who take 
some pieces of dispensationalism. They like to talk about, oh, you had a rapture, this and that, but they don't follow through with what is dispensationalism. And I will, I will have to say, admittedly, some early dispensationalists did not understand certain things when it came to dispensations. And that was perpetuated, that somehow dispen that the gospel is not the same in every dispensation. The gospel cannot change. God's acceptance of those lost in Adam cannot be different from one dispensation to the next because that would be to say that God relaxes his, his standards for one age and not the other. Or he were, just imagine, just think about this thought. And this is for those people who believe that salvation was different in the Old Testament, but now for some reason it's just glorious grace in the New Testament. Let's just think about that for a minute. Could people have been saved by keeping the law in the Old Testament? If, if that's possible, then that meant, that meant God has a different standard. It's like when we read in Romans 3, uh, 20, it says, Therefore, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No flesh, no person. So then, if you believe that grace in this age is how people are saved, and that is the right way for people to be saved, that would be to say no one in the previous dispensations could have been saved because they would have been pursuing it by the law or some other means. And God would somehow say, oh, I'll accept you anyway. No, his righteousness cannot be compromised in salvation of lost man. So either no one was saved in the Old Testament or... They were saved by grace, just as we are. And Abraham brought that out perfectly in Romans chapter 4. So, and 3, by the way. So, uh, Peter, Peter was wrong. That's why, and they were, they behaved negatively toward this new dispensation. And that's where it is. I want to read... Uh, <clears throat> First uh, John three twenty and twenty one. I think I have that here. Let's just read it. First John three twenty and twenty one. It says, "If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything." Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So notice, I'm just giving you the way that word condemn is used. I'm just giving an, a scriptural example of how that is understood. What does it mean if our hearts condemn us? Well, our hearts condemn us means if we're wrong, if, and, and we are shown to be wrong. Right? God says he knows everything, right? So we're not to be somehow dismayed because we were wrong about something. But then he says, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, right? Of course, our attitude is going to be one of confidence. If our hearts condemn us, then we need to stand corrected before God. So, <clears throat> and what are we saying? This is in first, let me read the previous verse. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. He's saying that God can show us that we're in the wrong and we have to accept that. If we're in the wrong, and God is showing us that we're in the wrong, then all we have to do, just like in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He will let us know we're wrong. Well, how would that be? Our hearts will condemn us. He will, through our conscious stream of consciousness, he'll let us know that we have a wrong stance of wrong attitude, wrong behavior, whatever it is. And and we will our our response should be to confess that sin. He's faithful and just. He does the rest. We don't have to worry about the rest. So um that's uh so so it's used only three times that word to condemn is only used three that particular word to condemn is only used three times in the Bible. We saw the one that was in um, 
our context in Galatians and two more times here in 1 John 3, 20 and 21. So don't get confused. The condemnation that the justice of God had over Adam when he sinned and the human race is not this. This is something different. Believers here are, are, can be wrong. Right? And it happens. And here we're having an example where just exactly that. We know Peter was saved and he was wrong. So he stood condemned. He knew he was wrong. Paul calls him, he said what his behavior was hypocritical. We're going to get to that verse. I don't think today, but we will get to that verse. So <clears throat> I said condemn is not the same as condemnation. Peter was wrong. That was He behaved uh, in this way regarding the new dispensation. That was what he was wrong about. Point D, this is not about salvation. And on the way to maturity, for us, maturity is us growing up, there will be some right or wrong in our behavior. We don't have to wonder if we will stand condemned in our by the way we respond to God. Now, there is no condemnation in Christ, but that's with regard to salvation. We're saved forever. There is never a time when we're going to be under the condemnation of God. However, we can be wrong. There's no doubt. And, and even some of the translations probably could just simply say they were wrong. Romans 12, 2 is, is a verse that we have been, uh, we took some time with on Wednesdays. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. <clears throat> or 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, so there's going to be ups and downs. How do, how do we grow? How do we transform our mind? We've got to get rid of the things that have conformed us, our experience in this world. That's what our experience was. We've got to get rid of those things and begin to think according to God's new purpose for us. So right or wrong is going to be a part of our experience. But that's, don't fret if you were wrong. All of us are at times. We all have to have our minds renewed. It's not some of us, all of us. So it's going to happen. So why do we have this in scriptures? Because God is showing us things that will help us and help our behavior as we grow. Right? I'm glad he shows us when we are wrong. Point, point uh, E, while Paul had his own issues to deal with, on this issue, his mind was fully transformed by the Spirit. I'm going to read Philippians 3, 5, and 6 in this regard. Philippians 3, 5, and 6 says, He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. This is who Paul was. At least he thought he was. He thought he was really somebody special. He's like, man, I got lots of reasons to boast for about confidence in the flesh. Let me tell you about who I was. A Pharisee. And we're going to get to a verse that says, as with regard to the law, I was dead to the law, Paul says. He's, we're talking a Pharisee. A Pharisee without the law is like a fish that doesn't have any water to swim in. The law is the Pharisee's life. Without the law, I don't know what you would call yourself. You couldn't call yourself a Pharisee, that's for sure. But in any case, Paul is not saying that he... Uh, these things, but if we must read verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Wow. He is repudiated. I mean, 
his lifestyle, things that he was so proud of. So he takes it very serious when he says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. <laughs> neither Jew. Well, he was circumcised on and on and on. He goes on. He had no more of the previous life. And how did all that happen? How could all of that happen for him? He was transformed by the spirit of truth. That's the only way it could have happened. None of, not even a remnant of what was his previous life in this regard. He says, I considered all the loss, all of it. He says in verse 9, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul was completely transformed in this area. But guess who wasn't? Peter. Peter still had some remnants and thoughts and fears and respect and honor toward Judaism. He had to deal with those things. And Paul was used to help him deal with those issues. So that was, he had his own issues to deal with. Paul, that didn't mean Paul was perfect in every area. He failed too. But in this area, he was right on, on target. He was right on point. Point F. It may be better, let's just think about this for a second. I know this is kind of counterintuitive. It may be better to be wrong than to always think you are right. Just think about that for a second. We don't want to be wrong. You know why? Because our ego, our arrogance, we think so much of ourselves that we don't ever want to think that we could be wrong. But the bad news tells us that there is none righteous, not even one. It, tell, it lays the foundation that we are all, there is no one who does good, not even one. So from that, we have to realize that all the things that we are or were were, in dark, were formed in darkness. Our cultures were formed in darkness. Our ways that we think are right. And we look at other cultures and we say, yeah, you see how they do that? Well, the way we do it is the right way. They do it the wrong way because we're right. And that's wrong to think when it comes to God. All of us are wrong. All of us need the truth. All of us need the gospel. All of us need to be saved. So <clears throat> it may be better to be wrong than to always think you are right. In the humility of being wrong lies the path to truth in that area. I'm just going to use Matthew 23, 12 for that uh, thought. Matthew 23, 12. <clears throat> for those <laughs> for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted and here we have and this is why we're in this life because if God exalts us then we're exalted if God gives us glory then we got it but here while we're serving in the world he says uh, 2311 the greatest among you will be your servant. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And obviously, he's going to go and talk about in the next verse, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites. Well, what is he saying? Why is he using that preference there? Because they exalted themselves. Because they lorded it over to people. They, that's how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that's how they behaved. But Jesus reversed it. He says, no, I'm going to serve you. I've come to serve, not to, to lord it over you. But now he's the Lord. He's been exalted to the highest place, says Ephesians, no, Philippians as well, too. <coughs> so so this, is, this is an important thought. And I just wanted to make sure we got this point because being wrong helps us know what the truth is. It leads us to the truth. 
It helps us to look away from the things that we once held to be true. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, my throat is causing me some grief. <coughs> so it may be better to be wrong than always think you're right. There's a humility of being wrong. Coming to the depths of, hey, I was wrong about that. <coughs> I thought I was right, but I was, I was wrong. You know, we should take a lighter approach to what we think we know. We should hold it a little bit less firmly with that grip. Then we should just be willing to, okay, always yield to what the truth is. Always yield to what's better. <clears throat> Point G. This was not Peter's first rodeo. <clears throat> Matthew twenty six seventy five. Just so you know, we know Peter wasn't, uh, this wasn't the first time he was wrong. 2675 says it this way. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. <clears throat> and he went out and wept bitterly. Now this is from Peter's boasting. I will never disown you. Those others, they may, but I will never. And all the disciples said, I won't. I will never disown you either. They were saying the same thing Peter said. But Peter stood up amongst them and said, this is, let me tell you, I will never leave you. I will lay down my life before I uh, leave you. But Peter denied Christ three times, and he was wrong. <clears throat> Notice verse 75, and he went outside and wept bitterly. This is this is what it feels like to be wrong. It's not a good feeling, <clears throat> but you know what? It leads us to the truth. Peter was wrong in the way he, he boisterously proclaimed his devotion to Christ without even knowing all the details, without realizing the Father's plan. Remember when <clears throat> Christ says in Matthew 16, Who do men say that I am? And some others gave answers about John the Baptist and some prophets, Elijah, different things. And then Christ says, but who do you say that I am? <clears throat> and Peter piped up and said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And that was the right answer. And Christ said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father. So no one can say that Jesus is the Christ except by means of the spirit. Spirit led you to that. So, <clears throat> but then, verses, a couple verses later, when Christ said, well, let me unveil to you the plan. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. When I get there, I'm going to be captured, beaten, spit upon, and killed. And on the third day, I'll rise again. Peter said, when he heard that, he said, yeah, you're the Christ. But let me tell you, that will never happen to you. Don't, in fact, you shouldn't, you shouldn't even say that would happen to you. I don't know what that was. <clears throat> uh, not sure what that was, but we'll roll the punches. That will never happen to you. Just a few verses later. And then Jesus turns to him and says, Get behind me, Satan. And so Satan means adversary against Christ. Those who are resist Christ. So so Peter on on in the one sitting he proclaimed his undying loyalty and understanding of Jesus being the Christ and then the other a few verses later he showed us that he really didn't know uh the plan that God had. So that's quite interesting. And often we are just as boisterous and loud about what we think we know. And just know, when it, the louder we are, the more bitterly we will weep. It's just, even if we have the truth, remember, it's not our truth. It's not what we always thought. If we learned it, other people can learn it as well. And if we're wrong, then that means God is going to show us the better way to the truth. That's an important point. I hope everybody gets that.
Um, so we're going to move on to <clears throat> the next verse, which is in 2.12. We're going, you should have notes. 2.12 says, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. <clears throat> so, point A, we have an entire issue at hand in one verse. Right, The entire issue is laid out for us. He says very quickly, there's a lot in this verse, and I don't think we're going to get to all of it today, but he lays it out. He's, he gives them... Let me tell you, certain men came down, and then this is what happened, and then uh, because he was afraid. He even tells us the reasoning. Let's get to it. Point A, <clears throat> we have the entire issue. We already saw there was considerable support given to the circumcision group. If I go back to Galatians 2 and verse 9, what, what, I'm, what am I saying here? <clears throat> James, Cephas, and this is Galatians 2.9. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Interesting. My question here is who was focusing on the Gentiles prior to this? There was focus on the Gentiles, but there wasn't a concerted effort for the Gentiles. And <clears throat> this is was wrong because the church was imbalanced. It was focused on Jewish uh, people, or what they say, circumcision, and Jewish customs and ways more so than Gentiles. So we know, I already made the, the point, that in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile. And why are we pointing these things out? Because this was the issue at hand. And what is, what is not recognizing that Jews and Gentiles in Christ are, are the same? We're one body? It, it is to reject the new dispensation. It is to reject the new creation. When you reject that, you are not on the side of God. Because that is the Father's plan, that Jews and Gentiles, God has got this new purpose that he created in Christ. And, and you're saying, no, no, I won't. I won't uh, subject myself to that. So this was, whew, this was a tough one. It was them rejecting. It's not just, hey, I, I have a preference here. No, your preference is grieving the Holy Spirit. Your preference and treating Gentiles in the way you are doing it and the circumcision the way you're treating them is rejecting the new dispensation. The Father's plan. That's what the new dispensation is. It was revealed. So lots of space and energy has been given to the Gentiles. I'm sorry, to the Jews, to the circumcision group. But they agreed that, okay, God is working in this group as well with the Gentiles. He's working with them. So let Paul and Barnabas go to them. That's good. You, you're, you're making inroads with these Gentiles. Let's continue that. That's good. But they hadn't worked out all the details, had they? Obviously, there were still a lot of uh, problems and some deference to the Mosaic Law. Well, we need to flesh all of that out because it's not true. And I'm glad we have Galatians in the, in the, te in the New Testament before all of us. It's not just me reading it. Hey, let me tell you, that's not true. No, it's everybody who opens up their Bible has the book of Galatians right there in front of them. Point B. It says he used to eat with the Gentiles. And what do we mean he used to eat with the Gentiles? Well, it may be your choice to eat with anyone you want. Eating here is not only about literal consumption of food, but also about fellowship. That's what we need to understand about eating, 
right? So he, he was when he was eating with the Gentiles, literally, you thought they were just eating food? No, it was fellowship. It was a form of fellowship. I just want to go to Acts 10. Let's look at this. I want to develop this a little bit. Acts 10, 11 through 14 says... Uh, this is where Peter, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice came, told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. This is what Peter responded to, how he responded. Surely not, Lord. <laughs> he's how do you say those three words if you're recognizing the lord who has all authority over you and you're preferencing preferencing what he's telling you with surely not there's something way wrong with that if he's the lord then he has full authority and if you're acknowledging that he's the lord you can't say surely not. Your only response can be, yes, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. But anyway, Peter said what was in his heart. He says, no, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And this happened three times. As the next verse tells us, the voice came a second time. And then verse 16, it's happened three times. And immediately the sheep was taken back up to heaven. What, what was Peter doing? Now he began to wonder about this vision. And while he was sitting there thinking about it, the men from Cornelius came, knocked on his door. So God had orchestrated this entire thing. He was trying to let Peter know how these things work out. Now, go to, <clears throat> go to verse 28, and just to see the end of This is 1028. This is what Peter got from all this. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, 10 through 14 and 28. Is this the right verse? He said to them, you are aware. Okay. Yeah. So this is what he says in, in 10, 28. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Now, again, so the Jews had that wrong. Because remember, the Gentiles were the mission field. They were supposed to go to them, to those other nations, and to teach them grace. They, they, they needed to teach them the bad news. And then they needed to teach them the good news. But they came up in their law, this law of separatism and national separation. that It was them and against the Gentiles. And that was, it wasn't them evangelizing the Gentiles. It was them against the Gentiles, which was a bad thing. So in any case, that was how they thought about things. So let's look at this. So he said to them, you are well aware that against, uh, it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a, or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So how did Peter get that message? He came through this whole thing, went to Cornelius' house, he ate with them, he stayed with them a couple days. Why would he stay with them? He taught them. So Peter understood. When he says this, the sheet let down with all manner of unclean beasts and animals, and God said, God, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter got the message that he was not to call anyone impure or unclean. So why would he push away from the table when he saw those people from Antioch coming, uh, from uh, coming down to Antioch of the circumcision group? Why would he push away from the table? Because he didn't want to associate with the Gentiles. Why? Because it was in his head that it was against the law for Jews to associate or visit Gentiles. But he knows the deal. God showed him. He made it clear to him that he is not to do that. So we have to say Peter caved in to religion. It was just understanding 
what Peter went through. Right? This was point B. And then 1 Corinthians 5.11. I just want to read that. 1 Corinthians 5.11 says, But I am writing to you <clears throat> that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Now, this is to say, these are people who are in the world that he's saying, hey, you, this is, this is you, don't make these people your personal friends. Don't treat them as your personal friends. And a lot of these things that people were doing were going to these temples. Idolatry, sexually immoral, these are words that are temple words for Gentile worship, slander or drunkard. A lot of these are worshipful words, but Gentile worshipful words. And Paul instructed them that they were not, that was their behavior before they were saved. Paul says, you know what? This is not the way you should behave as a believer. God does have expectations of people to live the spiritual life. But notice what it says. Do not even eat with such people. Why? Eating is representative of fellowship. That's why they had such a hard time with food that was sacrificed to idols. The Jews would not eat food that was sacrificed to idols. Why? Why would they not eat it? Because in their mind, eating represents fellowship. And if I'm fellowshipping with false gods, that's a symbol to say, I'm going to sit down and eat meat sacrificed to idols. Then I'm going to be a partaker of those idols those gods who are represented and, and, and where the meat was sacrificed to. It was a big deal. You might say, well, it wasn't, it's not a big deal today. Well, it was a big deal back then. You, you should know that. And a lot of scripture has been dedicated to helping us understand the truth of the matter. And some people were so bent on this understanding, and now it is not a matter of salvation. Paul says, you know what? I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. So if that's the case, I will not eat or drink or do anything that offends my brother. He, that's how he was understanding these things. Some, he was like, some people are not going to resolve this. So I'm going to have to not offend them, and at least until they gain enough understanding. But he made it a point that he tried, I'm sure, and some people just would not adhere to what was the truth. So they would have to grow. So, oh my gosh, we're going to have to stop. I'm looking at the time. But, just to note, it is a matter of, Peter was, he wasn't just eating with the Gentiles. He was fellowshipping with them, and that was Okay. He didn't, there wasn't a problem with what Peter was doing. He knew there wasn't a problem with what he was doing. But notice, that behavior, him moving away from the Gentiles, and the manner in which he did, was giving life to the false thinking that the Mosaic Law had some sway over those in the church. And not only the Mosaic Law, but their distortion of the Mosaic Law. So, while the Mosaic Law wasn't to exclude Gentiles at every cost, it was to go to them. And remember their attitude. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh said, Nineveh, you say? Go to Nineveh? No way. Jonah was like, no, I'm not going to those wicked and evil people. There's no way I'm going to set foot in Nineveh. So he went the opposite direction. <laughs> so this is why, the this is a prevailing attitude among the Jews, which was wrong. It was the wrong attitude. And even when Jonah finally went to Nineveh and he preached and they repented, he said, yeah, I knew you was going to be forgiving. And I knew that you, you would, um, that it, you know, that's why I didn't want to go, he said, because they need to be punished. That's what Jonah, that was on Jonah's mind. 
So there was tremendous hatred for Gentiles. And that was not in the Apostle Paul. He had completely renovated his thinking with regard to that because he had the same thinking as Peter did, probably to a greater degree. And yet, it was purged from who he was. And I believe the same thing can happen for us. Whatever we believed in our culture or religious training or how we were raised or whatever it was, I believe that the spirit of truth can transform our minds to such a degree that we won't even be the same person. We'll be transformed from a Saul to a Paul. I believe it. And the examples of it are all around us as well. So, we're going to have to stop here. We'll come back next week, finish more of this. We did gain some ground, so thank you, Lord. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue this next week. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers who are out there. And we'll close with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this evening, or this this afternoon. We we are so grateful for uh, the clarity how the word has given us such a dogmatic stance of who we are and what we are to be in this world. We ought to reject, reprove, just as the apostle did, anyone who would seek to reject or diminish your, the, the eternal purpose that you have uh, created for us. We thank you for this calling and the fact that we're even here today talking about these things is evidence that the spirit of truth is here influencing us thank you for everyone listening and we pray that we will be challenged by the things we've heard today it's in christ's name we pray amen amen